0: Podcast One Production. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall.
1: G'day all my fellow hackers. Hope you've all been healthy and well. Thanks once again for joining me for another episode of The Health Hacker. I can't wait to share with you some nuggets of gold. There's some really insightful research that I've done in the last... uh, few weeks and I'm really excited to share some of these great hacks with you today. And speaking of hacks, my good friend, Alex and producer joins me now. How are you, Alex?
0: I'm here with you every episode because I'm adopting everything that you teach. And last episode, we spoke about how to build muscle. And that really spoke to me because I have lost a lot of weight, but now I'm trying to sort of (laughs) beef up a bit. Can I just go through some results? Of what I've done. Before
1: you do, though, but before yeah. you do, I, I must admit I should have uh, invested some money in the stock exchange in singlet uh, production facilities because, mate, I can't believe you're wearing a singlet today in, in the night. No, booth. I'm and, uh, not. From all reports, your missus said you went out and bought another 12 singlets. <laughs> <house>. You've been <laughs> doing a gun show. In the middle of the night, you get up and do a gun show for her. So, uh, <laughs> been pumping them biceps, mate, I hear. Uh, so, it's good to see, mate, you're, you're packing some heat in them guns. The correct <laughs> term
0: is not singlet. It's stringlet. It's even thinner <laughs> than that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> with the little the little stringlip at the back huh hey? yeah so, yeah yeah you know, that's that the, that's the one daughter. I'm
0: rolling now man I'm that buff and you've got a bum <laughs> bag
1: as well I hear so yeah. and a bum bag to go with it, to keep your creatine in it yeah and your uh oculation bandages to strap your arms up to restrict blood flow to the biceps when you do your curls. Good to see.
0: It was a fascinating (laughs) episode. If you've not touched on it and you are looking to increase your muscle power and your muscle size, go back to the last episode right now and listen to it and then jump back into this current episode of The Health Hacker. You will find pieces of information in there that will make you go, oh, I wish I knew that before and you've wasted hours in the gym. And I've got some (laughs) results for you. So I am a big fan of calisthenics training especially after you've talked to me a lot about you want to do natural things that if a you a lift a bend a push a pull we've spoken about this before on other episodes where you type of training since taking Creatine with my training every day and incorporating a protein powder into sometimes between meals as a meal replacement I've now doubled doubled the amount of reps I can do on dips and pulls and pushes across the board
1: that's amazing congratulations and you have honestly put on some muscle as well so that's even more amazing because your body to power weight ratios increased significantly as well so not only have you increased your your strength endurance but because you've actually got more muscle on your body you've got a little bit heavier as such um your power to weight ratio improved as well so your real strength's improved so that's an amazing effort and uh Mate, it wasn't such a hard thing to do after all, was it, Alex? I did it in about two weeks. Like It was, <laughs> cool. it was quite a big result. That's insane. So you've doubled the amount of reps you can do now, but you also look happier and, and full of energy. So that's the great thing about these hacks as well is that they're really just putting into your body what it's missing. And, you know, there's so many simple things out there that our bodies are missing on a daily basis. And with some of these hacks, something as simple as adding some magnesium to your diet, which 90% of people in our general population are deficient in found in leafy green vegetables or it's found in different supplements um can make such a huge impact on our health drinking water 90 percent of the population are walking around as we speak right here now dehydrated not even knowing you know the importance of just something as simple and as free as water so that's what you're going to get from these great episodes is plenty of little hacks to make yourself healthy happier and i can't guarantee that you are about able to double your strength like alex has but i tell you what good to see that monkey says and monkey do <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's what we're here for on the health hacker today you have another huge episode lined up Uh and it is all about what we're ingesting into our bodies, but less so about what we're taking. It's about how we got to where we are in the world. Because, you know, you spoke about this before on episode one, your mate Dennis just wasn't educated about what he was putting in his body. And this is why you think it's so important to tell everyone about why we eat the way we eat.
1: Yeah, why are we wired to eat the way that we eat today? You know, that's the hack today. Hacking into why we eat what we eat. And um, you know, I get a lot of people, I help a lot of people try to lose weight, get healthy and fit and most of the time they bash themselves up and they say, I'm weak-willed, I'm lazy, you know, I'm weak-minded. And they just don't understand that. The game's rigged now. You know, when you look at our ancestors, we were hunter and gatherers by nature. We didn't have unlimited food supplies put in front of us. Food was scarce, you know. So, of course, when food's put in front of you, your primal brain kicks in, your reptile brain, and it's just going to eat whatever it can because it doesn't know when it's going to get fed again. That's just how we we're genetically built. So, in today's episode, we're really going to dig deep and find some hacks into why we are wide eat the way we eat. And how we can hack into stopping ourselves from making bad food choices and how we can combat really a lot of the fake information and a lot of the the tactics and and the the ploys that are used by big food companies, especially to make life even harder for our primal brains and to stop us hurting ourselves.
0: So you're saying this is like a mental hack to help your physical appearance.
1: Yeah, look, you know, you don't know what you don't know. That's the biggest problem in life, isn't it? So that's what I always say to people don't judge yourself. Seek first to understand before you judge yourself. So if you understand how the psychology works and how the physiology of combining food and marketing and different messaging and the environment you put yourself in and the conditions that you're in when you make food choices, you'll be able to make smarter decisions. And that's what today's episode's about educating ourselves. And tooling ourselves up so we can go through this jungle, which is a jungle now in in a legitimate sense of temptation, treats, you know, marketing, different messaging, confusion, lies. It's such a a hard environment for people to navigate their way through these days to be healthy. You walk into a supermarket these days, 80% of the products on the shelf are full of hidden sugar. You know, the game is rigged. When you look at the front of the aisles of supermarkets, what's always on special? Soft drinks, lollies, cereals it's just insane. You know, foods are labeling themselves as being healthy when they're not healthy. So as long as you know that the game is rigged and you know the ploys and the tactics that some people are using against us, you'll be a much healthier and happier person. And we're going to hack into it right now.
0: Okay. So how do we get to where we are? How did this all start for us?
1: Well, essentially, we eat for energy. It's, it's, it's basic, isn't it? You know, calories in versus calories out. It's the only way we survive as a species. And But there was other reasons why we ate as well, you know, to identify ourselves into different groups. Culturally, we eat certain foods, and we still do today, to be identified and to be part of a special group. We ate because of certain beliefs as well. Certain foods were medicinal. Certain foods were meant to be mystical. Um, they were meant to add to our stamina, our strength. So we ate them for religious reasons. But the big thing about food today, especially, is is that we make 200 decisions on average a day about food, and 90% of these decisions are subconscious. Think about that for a second, Alex. You're making 200 decisions a day about food. That's a lot of thinking about food. It's oh. literal food porn. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> I would agree with that because I, I spend a lot of time thinking about biscuits, you know? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and you've got to realize that because these decisions are made subconsciously, that means we're not actually conscious of them. How is our subconscious conditioned? Well, the reality is it's conditioned by the government it's conditioned by a big corporation. That's why McDonald's spends $1 billion a year on marketing. Mm. Take that in for a second. $1 billion a year in marketing to influence our subconscious brains. They bombard you with marketing messages. They use emotiveness. They use different triggers psychologically to tap into you. So when you are stressed and you want to make a subconscious decision because you're hungry, what are you going to reach for? Yep. The thing that's been blasted into your brain. So This is where we've been let down. And I'm not into conspiracy theories, and I'm not into different things like that. But the reality is, is that in 1980, for the first time, the American government released the food recommendations. They designed something called a food pyramid. Now, we're probably all familiar with the food pyramid. The base of the food pyramid forever has been cereals, rices, pastas. Basically, processed carbohydrates were a big part of this food pyramid. Then the next part of the the free tier uh, food pyramid was things like dairy, meats, lean proteins. And then at the top, there were some fats. Um, and, you know, we, we were taught for ages that these are the sort of foods that we should be eating and in what quantities as such. Um, ironically, now the CSIRO have come out and recommended that 60% of our diet should be made up of fats. <laughs> yeah. So they've flipped it all on their head and saying that we should only eat around 70 to 100 grams of carbohydrates a day, a low to moderate carbohydrate diet. No wonder people are confused, Alex. So you probably ask, how the hell did we get it so wrong? You know, in 1980, when they bought out, you know, the first food pyramid and food recommendations in America, how did they get it so wrong? Well, when you look back, it all started with this guy by the name of Ansel Keys. Um, And he somehow convinced the American Heart Foundation with a heap of dodgy science that he put together during a period of study called the Seven Countries Study, where he went out and he basically took all this research around uh, different countries and the high rates of heart disease in certain countries. And in Europe, he found seven countries where the heart disease was the highest in the world, And he basically said that these countries all had one thing in common, that they were eating high amounts of saturated fat. So all of a sudden, saturated fat and fat generally just got demonized. But what Ansel Keys deliberately left out was the fact that these countries also had the highest amount of sugar intake. And he also left out the most important bit of data, which was Germany and France, which had the lowest rate of heart disease, Mm. also consumed the highest amount of saturated fat, but the lowest amount of sugar. (laughs) <laughs> surprise, surprise. Right. So it, it was just dodgy research. So somehow he's then gone and convinced the American Heart Foundation as well as the American government and all these other influential academics that fat is the devil and sugar is okay. So hence, this food pyramid was built on his recommendation. And in 1980, they've reeled this thing out and that's now how we eat. But to make matters even worse for the American government and society was we underpinned this... Structure and beliefs of what we should be eating with economics. So, yeah. all of a sudden, the government invested all this money into agriculture, designing um, programs around boosting the economy off the back of corn, processed carbohydrates, uh, bread, rices, pastas, cereals, all these things that we know now shouldn't form the basis of the food pyramid is what the American economy invested into. So, guess what? They didn't want to believe that this guy was wrong because if mm. they did, they pulled the rug out from their economy. Yeah. So, so. And as we know, scientists aren't great in admitting when they're wrong. They're not willing to put their hands up. So it's a very, very, very sad um, predicament that we've all been led down the garden path with a load of research It's a fat lie, literally. So now we know that saturated fat isn't the devil, but it's actually sugar. So we're trying to backtrack slowly, but that's why we are where we are. We've believed for so long and we've trusted certain people from the government to dietitians, to doctors, to all these different people that have been sold a load of BS that this is the way we should eat. So we are where we are because the lie started with this great man, Ansel Keys, and um, it's been hard to stop the rot ever since. So let me just recap that a little bit if I can. Uh, because of his lie
0: and his skewed results, the whole economy was based on sugar, and then you can't exactly just change that overnight because then you've got probably trillions of dollars that won't be into like their economy anymore. So that's a very big wheel and a hard thing to change. And these companies have huge amounts of power. And actually, the pyramid should be, a, not a pyramid, it should be a V. It should be upside down for us. So those fats at the top that we should be eating, what, what, what should
1: they be? Well, the good fats are things like walnuts and you've got avocados and and you know you've got olive oils and you've got fatty fishes like sardines and salmon and you know these are the sort of sources of fat we should be eating. But once again, we need to be careful about this extremism, and that's the problem with our society. And once again, feeling like you're part of a tribe. Why do we call something paleo? Why do we call something veganism? Because once again, it's all about feeling like you're part of something. And once you realize that and put your hand up and go, you know what? It's primal. I want to feel like I'm part of a tribe. Now, that's why feasting is such a a sacred thing because you didn't survive if you weren't invited into the tribe to eat. Mm. You're an outcast. (laughs) It's the only way you survive. So once you got welcomed into the tribe you then ate because you were accepted. You couldn't hunt and gather by yourself and survive. So that's where being part of something so important and so much part of our DNA. So it's fascinating that you know, we, we are where we are now, that people want to go on these extreme diets and label themselves something to feel like they're part of something. Mm. And that's where the danger lies in today's society. With ketogenic diets, with these high-fat diets, surely we'd have learned now from our mistakes in the past, such as What happens? low fat. What do we do? We replace the fat with sugar. All of a sudden, we're pouring sugar down our mouths. What happens? Obesity skyrockets. Why? Because it's overconsumption of one macronutrient. Extremism doesn't work. And that's my fear in today's society, is all of a sudden we're bastardizing sugar, and now we're putting this fat up as the hero. But people aren't meant to be sucking down coconut oil and gargling it and, you know, making bulletproof coffees every single day with half a cube of butter in it. That's extremism. It's stupidity. It's it's nutritionally devoid of anything that's of substance, too much fat. So, you know, once again, we need to be very careful, Alex, on how extreme we go with these approaches. But we now know one of the hacks is that we feel like we need to be part of a tribe. So don't feel like you have to label yourself as a paleo or a vegan. Just focus on trying to be healthy and don't worry about the labels.
0: Maybe it should just be the health hacking tribe. Everything in moderation will be the new tribe that we can establish.
1: Well, moderation's boring, and that's once again there's not too many so what tribes out there. What do we do? That What's want to the modern. answer? Well, that's what we should be though. That's the whole point. That's what we should be. The tribe should be healthy and real, because life's about living, isn't it? You know, you don't want to go on these extreme diets because we know they're unsustainable. They're not practical, and they're not fun. I don't know if you've gone out with any of your mates who are on these extreme diets, some of my mates are on these ketogenic diets, and you offer them a bit of you know, food, I can't eat that. It's got carbs in it. I'm like, what? You can't eat carbs? No, mate, can't eat carbs. The amount of stress they've just caused themselves is going to grow twice as much fat cells as a bit of carbohydrates because they're (laughs) so stressed about the carbs.
0: (laughs) So surely, Adam, we can't just lay all the blame on big corporations. There has to be some sort of psychological inherent thing that draws us to these things that are bad for us.
1: Well, that's the great thing about the human brain is that people realize it's plastic. They realize it's changeable. They realize that they can actually tap into our brain and we're not hardwired. You know, this is the great thing about marketing. Marketing, you know, has the greatest ability in the world to make our decisions for us. And the big companies know this. Like, you know, Disney, for example, realized that when they put a a character on their products, they sell 53% more on average, like Shrek, for God's sake. When he was put on the packet of chips, kids ate 53% more of the chips, Mm. and they reported the chips to taste twice as good. So they had a study where they had a bag of chips, one with Shrek on it, one without Shrek. Now, Shrek doesn't look very appetizing to me, but for whatever reason, the kids' brains were wired to think that the chips tasted twice as good with Shrek on them. So they know this big companies, and then they also – basically spend millions and millions of dollars every single year working out how to elicitate a response in our brains with dopamine. Dopamine is the reward neurotransmitter that lights up when we're given a hit of something of pleasure. Mm. So now scientists spend all this time trying to actually find out how our brains are wired so they can affect the chemical balance of food. So when you look at it, for example, chips, there's this thing called vanishing calorie density. Now, what the hell is that? That's essentially things that melt in your mouth. So it's all about mouthfeel. It's oh, about so taste. Word, it's about smell. That's where the word
0: vanishing comes from because it's almost like it melts away and disappears. It
1: melts in your mouth. So, so vanishing calorie density. Vanishing calorie density. So that's when you have a burgering, for example, you put it in your mouth and it just melts. So therefore you eat more of it. And that's and that's and that, that elicitates a dopamine response in the brain and it heightens as, as a reward. So all of a sudden, you know, they say once you pop, you can't stop. It's just incredible. <laughs> you know, when you have a look at the statistics, it's just... Insane, you know, like chips, for example, when they actually make the chips sound more crunchier, you actually eat more of them because our brains are wired to be pleasurably seeking beings. That's what the brain is. The brain's seeking pleasure all the time, it wants a hit of dopamine. So, when you're actually getting these senses aroused, whether it's taste, smell, sight, your brain's going into overdrive and it's craving more and more. So, that's absolutely insane. And then from a a primal point of view when you look at our survival mechanism we're actually attracted to things roughly with a one-to-one ratio of fat to sugar so that's breast milk so we knew as babies from a survival point of view that that was the prime energy source for us to survive and thrive early on so you have one gram of fat and one gram of sugar that lights up in our brain what we call the bliss point that's the bliss point in food science that's food scientists are trying to achieve they now find that cheesecake is probably the most closest thing to that one-to-one ratio. So, <laughs> I love
0: cheesecake more so, yeah, than anything, Cheesecake man. <laughs> is
1: one-to-one. So you've got that perfect Bloody mix good. of fat and sugar. It just lightens your brain up. The dopamine just goes through the roof, and all of a sudden you're ingesting cheesecake. It's one-to-one ratio. Cookies, chips, um, lollies, chocolate, um donuts they're about a one to two you know fat to sugar ratio and once again they've found that to be a hot spot as well for most people so once you take a bite into that donut your brain lightens up and it wants more and that's the thing about dopamine when your body gets that hit of dopamine it needs more and more of the food to get the same hit So hence we eat more and more of these bad foods and that's why you can't control yourself. So the game's rigged. You've got these big corporations, like I said, they actually put people in MRI machines, Alex, and they actually watch their brain activity when they're taking a bite into these foods to see how much of the brain's lighting up. It's just insane. You've even told me once
0: before about the sound the packet makes has also been researched.
1: Yeah, so for example, they did a study recently where they put people into a room and they put one set with headphones on, eating them chips, and then they put the other people just in a normal setting where the bag was just exposed to no um, effects of being uh, muzzled. And the people that could hear the chip packet rustle ate 15% more chips and they said they tasted much fresher, whereas the people that had headphones on said that the chips actually tasted stale and they ate less. So it just shows they understand how we're why They understand that, like I said before, it's not just about the look of food, but it's also about the way it smells, the, the sounds of the food, you know, the marketing around the food. So you've got all these forces working against you and as soon as you can start to understand some of the hacks we're going to go through today of how to combat these things, your waistline is going to be certainly be a lot slimmer and your health is going to be a lot better. So let's
0: do it. We know the history of it. And being aware you're right is important because you don't know what you don't know. Now that we know a little bit, I want to know more. Don't tell me I can't eat bad food anymore, though. Like there has to be some sort of balance, right?
1: (laughs) Well, once again, they're smart marketers because they know as a human species, we don't like to be told what we can't do. That's not pleasurable. It all comes back to pain and pleasure again. That's painful (laughs) because from a DNA perspective, the last thing I want to be told is something I can't do. So that's the problem we've got with foods as well is if you want to have a similar waistline and you want to be thin don't be thinking that you can't have it that's the biggest problem in the world and we go team extreme you think about diets that fail and why most diets do fail is because we starve ourselves we deprive ourselves and that's not that's not thriving that's not surviving you think about it when we want to thrive and survive it's about intaking things it's about consuming It's not about excluding. It's not about deprivation. So our basic survival mechanisms kick in and go, hang on, I don't want to be told I can't eat that. I've got to eat that to survive. So whatever you do, focus on what you want to eat. That's hack number one. So if you're trying to lose weight and go on a diet, rather than focus on, I can't eat gluten, I can't have dairy, I can't have sugar, the list goes on and on, you're going to fall off the wagon. Focus Mm. instead on what you want to eat, okay? And focus on why you should be eating that and the benefit of that. That's hack number one. Don't focus on why you can't, focus on what you should be eating.
0: So you're saying that if I focus on the food that I know that will give me a nutritional benefit, I will then get almost a dopamine response because my body will now look at it and go, that thing is great for me. I'm enjoying it. It's good for me. I'm going to get a result and then I'm going to want more of it.
1: We're pleasure seeking machines Our brains actually seek out a reward. So if you're telling yourself you can't have something, there's no reward there. But if you're focusing on the reward, which is, oh, you know what? I'm actually getting to eat this real nutritious, beautifully tasting salad, and I can't wait. As soon as your brain registers that it's going to get that reward, the thing that it wants, the dopamine levels are going to lighten up. When you say to yourself, I can't have chocolate, straight away, you're going into that depressed state. So focus on what your body wants, and then you'll get that happy response.
0: Okay. So you mark it to yourself. That's hack number one. I love it. What's the next one?
1: (laughs) Hack number two, there's this thing called expectation assimilation. So, essentially, this is all about how our tastes are biased by our imagination. So, if we expect a food to taste good, it's going to taste good. But on the flip side, if we tell ourselves that a food's going to taste like crap, even though it's good for us, we're not going to like it.
0: So, it's like little kids saying, oh, beans, they're gross. I don't like green beans. I don't like broccoli. Uh, But if you had the idea in your head as an adult still like that, you're still going to be eating like a little kid and avoiding your broccoli. (laughs) You should actually get over it and look at it and go, this is going to be delicious, especially when I put it in a pan with some like sauce or something, and then you'll expect
1: to love it. And that's why I love that little hack there straight away is find something to attach a positive vibe to the vegetable with. So focusing on a feature of why you like that vegetable. So you might put some garlic on it. You might put some spices on it and focus on the crunchiness in the vegetable rather than focus on what you don't like about And that's going to influence how much of that food that you eat. So people, for example, put in a research study where they ate chocolate yogurt, right? They've got these two groups of people and they put them in a dark room. And they told the groups that they were eating strawberry yogurt, right? And even though it was chocolate, 59% of the participants rated the yogurt as having a nice strawberry flavor despite the fact that it was chocolate. Because they expected strawberry, so what did they taste? Strawberry. Strawberry. That is the power of suggestion. And that is what we've got to understand about humans. You know, we are so driven by our imaginations and the power of suggestion. They even did a study with wine, Alex, where they had a wine and they told people it was from California. And they told the other group that was from North Dakota exactly the same wine. Yep. But because people knew that California wine was such high quality and it was an expensive wine, the people rated that same wine totally different. The people that thought it was a wine from California said that the wine tasted twice as good as the people that thought it was from North Dakota. So it's absolutely insane that just the power suggestion has such an impact on our taste buds.
0: So expectation assimilation is hack number two. It's very much, again, about reprogramming your mind for against the marketing. It's like pitching yourself of how good it's going to be, and then it is probably going to be that great because your mind's expecting it. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall.
1: So the next hack is we eat with our eyes first. So this is really important. Once again, if you're trying to eat healthier food, once you realize that we eat with our eyes first, you must put in some effort to basically present foods to yourself to make them look appetizing. Now, of course, if you just go and get a block of broccoli, frozen broccoli or spinach or whatever, you throw it in the microwave for a few seconds and you put it out in a bowl, it's going to look like green slime. It's not going to look attractive. Your brain's not going to be excited about that. So we really, really need to put some effort into the presentation of our food, particularly if it's food that is healthy for us and food that probably isn't the type of food that we really like to eat on an average daily basis. So, you know, marketers once again know this. That's why they present food a certain way. Like one study, for example, took chocolate brownies and they put the chocolate brownies out to these people in three different styles of presentation. The first group got the brownies on a plate and they were asked how much they were willing to pay for that brownie. Now, when they were served it on a plate, they said they were willing to pay $1.27 for that brownie. Yep. The same group of people then presented a chocolate brownie on a paper plate and they asked what did they think the brownie was worth and they said 76 cents. So that's nearly a third less, Alex, yep. which is mind-blowing. And then finally they served them the same chocolate brownie on a napkin and they said they'd pay 50 cents for it. So that's how less attractive simply the art of presentation was to these consumers by the way that that the same food was presented to them. One was on a plate, one was on a napkin. Guess what? It was nearly one third as valuable and tasty or as attractive to the consumer simply based on its presentation.
0: Yeah, it's packaging. It's the way you offer it. It's like, you know what? You should listen to the other podcast on the Podcast One Network, A Plate to Call Home with Gary Mee, and He's all about plating up and making things look really presentable. He's made a whole career on making food look good. It's it's a good thing to do and you should take pride of it with your own meals, I suppose.
1: And particularly if you've got kids, you know, make your food look amazing, you know? Don't make your peas just look like peas. Give them a name as well, like the power suggestion like we spoke before. Tell them they're eating Hulk food, green yes. food. I do it with my daughter, you know, in the morning with her smoothies, you know, I say she's having a chocolate green smoothie and she loves it because all of a sudden it's exciting. I actually sing, my milkshake brings all the boys to the yard when I'm bringing out the kids shake for her in the morning, do a little jiggle and wiggle. And she gets excited. She starts clapping her hands. Daddy's doing the dance. You know, daddy's sucking on the straw with his kids shake and he's celebrating the food. He's he's actually got in a really nice frozen cup when he gives it to her. So the presentation's there and she loves it. Whereas, you know, if I brought it out in some brown paper cup and I said, oh, here's your green slime in the morning, of course you're not going to want it. So, you know, particularly if you've got kids, you know, really take some pride in making your food look amazing and engage yourself in cooking. We now know as far as happiness goes, that being happy is about being connected and it's about being mindful. And there's no better way to get connected and be mindful than preparing a meal for your family. So there's another little hack in itself as well. If you actually invest your time into cooking food, you'll actually have an art of mindfulness there as well. So, They also know, researchers, that the only detox diets that work are ones where you get food out of your cupboard, out of sight, out of mind. So they did a study with Hershey bars, chocolate bars in America, where they put chocolate Hershey bars on the desks of workers. And they put some of the Hershey bars in a clear jar, Mm. and the other Hershey bars were put in a a jar that you couldn't see the chocolates in. Mm. The workers ate 71% more chocolate when they could see the chocolates in the clear jar.
0: Right. So there you go. There's your eyes going like, hello, I can see you. Come eat
1: me. Come eat me. You're not weak-willed. As I said to you before, when you're out with Dave the caveman and you're chasing around trying to find your food, what does your brain say? It's primal. It wants energy. It wants food. So of course it's going to grab that chocolate bar. If it sees it, it's going to want it. So out of sight, out of mind. You want to do a real detox, get rid of the crap out of your cupboards. All right, Adam. So that hack was your eyes eat first,
0: which is... Out of sight, out of mind for the bad stuff. And secondly, make it look as appealing and celebrate the food so not just you but everyone around you wants to enjoy the good, nutritious food.
1: What's the next hack? Well, the next hack is don't supersize. You know, we know that it's become the big trend in society everywhere you go, especially in America, hence why they lead the world in obesity, that they want you to supersize. Now, they did a study where researchers found that movie who were given large tubs of popcorn ate 53% more than those who were given a small tub of popcorn. So, of course, if it's there, you're just going to eat it. It's going to eat it. You know, on average, people eat 92% of the food that's on their plate. Yeah. So, if you serve your food on a bigger plate, you're going to eat it. It's just, once again, it's primal. Our reptile brains are kicking in. That's all we want to do is survive and thrive. And how do we do that? Eat. If it's put in front of you, you're going to eat. Of course, you're going to put it, you know, in your mouth. The other thing as well
0: is, is that whole thing in polite society is you don't want to leave food on your plate because of a food wastage. It just seems unfair when there's so many underprivileged people in the world. And B you feel it's impolite to the person cooking for you if you don't eat all of the food.
1: And that's where our upbringing has a huge bearing on how we eat and why we eat and what we do. And our parents sometimes don't realize, but you know, I I don't know about you growing up, but you know, uh, there was instances when I went to a mate's house and you know, his mum said, Oh, you you know, if you don't eat, you know, everything on your plate, you are going to bed, you're in trouble. Mm. So you're conditioning kids at an early age. To feel like, you know, if they don't overeat and they don't eat everything, even though they're not hungry, they should be punished. Yeah. And this is where we're conditioning our kids the wrong way. You know, we shouldn't be punishing kids for not eating. It's just insane. So we're good at, at, at really stuffing our kids up at an early age, but we're also just as good, mate, at lying to ourselves as well. And this is the thing. When you think about people that are overweight, they actually underestimate how much they eat by up to 40%, Alex. Yeah, 40%. Right. You know, skinny people... Are a lot better. They only underestimate by twenty percent what they eat. It's like when I when I have a splurge and I know I'm going to go and rip into that box of chocolates, right? I know I'm going to sit there and I'm going to rip into my little picnics, the you know the, the you know the Cadbury little snack pack. You know you get the little mini size bars. Yeah. But what I do is to hold myself accountable. Is I leave the wrappers out <laughs> so I can see how many I'm actually eating. You know, not only do I eat it with my left hand <laughs> to be more mindful and eat them slower and chew, but I also make sure I leave the wrappers out. You know, and this is a tip that I, a hack that I give for people as well about knowing that we BS to ourselves, and you know, not to supersize, is if you're really, you know, somebody that struggles with portion control, go and put out a whole day's worth of food in front of you, what you're going to eat that day, and take a picture of it.
0: Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot it's a of lot. food. You isn't just it? don't
1: realise whatever you do, you know, stop realizing that what you tell yourself and reality are two different things and you don't need to be supersized. Oh my God. That's so good.
0: Because if I think about, if I've had a lean day, a good, healthy day of what I've eaten, I would be quite happy with what's on the table. If you've had a blowout day and you looked at the amount of stuff that's on there, you'd feel pretty bad about yourself.
1: And look, we've gone over it in past episodes. If you haven't heard some of the episodes we've done, little hacks like sniffing your food makes you take smaller bites. Mm. We now know that chewing your food has a huge impact on your digestion, your ability to get the nutrients out of the food. Sitting down and making food a celebration and a ritual has a huge impact on your body's ability to digest food and how much you eat. So there's so many little hacks of how we can control portion distortion, but whatever you do, don't make it harder for yourself by upsizing straight away. Get rid of the supersize and just go the smart size.
0: Don't supersize is the fourth hack, Adam. I assume you've got five today as always. What's the fifth one?
1: Pick your friends carefully. It's very, very important. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad <laughs> I'm mates with what you what then. I'm doing well. Well, mate, it's a, it's a really interesting one. You know, Research has shown that when people eat with somebody who's overweight, they eat nearly 32% more calories And 43% less vegetables. That's huge. That's a huge amount. So I'm not fat shaming. I'm I'm not out there fat shaming you. Please don't think I'm there saying don't have a chubby barbie mate. You know, (laughs) whatever you do, I'm not bagging people that are overweight. I'm just saying that when you know how to control the rules of the game, surround yourself with people that are going to be healthy. You know, we now know when people eat in groups, for example, Alex, they're waiting for the green light. They're waiting for somebody to say, yes, you can eat crap. So, if you want to diet, and you want to better yourself. When you go out to eat, first make the first choice for everybody else. Pick something that's healthy off the menu. A number of restaurants actually have this wicked trick where they know that it's all about dining experience for diners. So, on a on a menu, they'll have five key items and they'll have one healthy item. Mm. And that healthy item so crappy, and it's deliberately crappy because they want people to choose the other options.
0: Right, marketing. Because they again. want people to have a
1: uh, they want them to have a culinary experience. They don't want them to go there and eat you know, boiled broccoli and stuff like that. That's not an experience that's memorable for these diners. So, you know, be very careful of how you rig the game because when you eat, if you're a woman, for example, when you eat with a man, you're going to eat 13% more food than you normally would. Yeah. So if you're somebody who's trying to lose weight, you know, try to eat by yourself. And it's not because you eat less by yourself because you spend less time. They actually filmed people in fast food restaurants and they actually got all these stats from that. That people that ate by themselves in a fast food restaurant ate less still. And it wasn't because, like I said you before, the food tastes any better necessarily. It was just because of the fact that they were more mindful of their eating. When you're with a group of people, you lose mindfulness. You know, when you eat with seven or more people, you'll consume up to 96% more food in one sitting. That's insane. You know what I mean? So you think you always double the intake statistics.
0: of food that you would usually have.
1: You would always have because it's a celebration. You're not mindful. People are talking. People are chatting. You're not focusing on eating, you know. So, once again, very important that you pick who you dine with And you also pick the place that you dine in as well because, like I said, when there's lots of distractions around, you're not as mindful. And even the way you pay, Alex, is very important. They found that when people purchase junk food using their credit card, they actually buy 40% more junk food.
0: What, because they just swipe the card and off they go? Just
1: swipe the card. There's no accountability. Whereas if you have coins or cash and you hand it over, the value of that purchase is actually set in stone. So the environment that you actually dine in is very important, mate, for your waistline.
0: All right, so let me recap the hacks for you today in this episode. Number one, focus on the foods that you want to eat. Stop telling yourself that you can't have things. I can't have bread. I can't have this. Focus on the things that are good for you and what you want to put in your body and get the nutritional value out of it. Hack number two, expectation assimilation. Visualize how good that food is going to be that you're going to eat and taste and what it's going to do for you, and your body will get that dopamine release. You'll be pumped for it. Number three, your eyes eat first. So plate it up make it look really good celebrate the way the food looks especially just for yourself and for your family and for your friends and like you do adam you can even do a dance with it if you're bringing out the (laughs) shake for your child don't supersize is hack number four just watch your portion control and number five pick your friends wisely and also matt i add adam be that good friend to your friends and order first and order
1: smart well done, Alex. They're great hacks there. And i tell you what, the waistline will come in in no time if you abide by them. Can't wait to hack in with you again next time. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall is
0: recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Produced by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Nick Slater. Executive producer is Jamie Scho. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.